An old Hasidic rabbi, Levi Yichek of Berdachev in the Ukraine, claimed that he learned the meaning of love from a drunken peasant. One morning, the rabbi was out in the Polish countryside to visit a friend of his who owned a tavern. When the rabbi walked in, he saw two men seated at a table, both gloriously in their cups, drunk as skunks, stoned out of their minds, arms wrapped around each other. Each guy was reassuring the other one how much he loved him. Suddenly, Ivan said to Peter, Peter, tell me what hurts me. And bleary-eyed, Peter said, how do I know what hurts you? Ivan's answer was swift. If you don't know what hurts me, how could you say you love me? What made Jesus Christ the greatest lover in human history is that he really knew, he really knows this afternoon what's hurting his people. Back in 1981, a friend of mine, an Episcopal priest in Columbus, Ohio, walked into his office on a Monday morning, wrote a hasty letter of resignation to the vestry. Then he returned to his home, sat down at the kitchen table, and wrote a letter to his wife and his three children, all the kids under the age of 10, that he was abandoning them. He fled to a logging camp in New England, took a job in Vermont as a logger, and one Saturday afternoon in January, it was about 10 below zero, this priest was sitting in a portable aluminum trailer that he'd rented. The only source of heat was a tiny portable aluminum heater. Well, the heater suddenly quit and died. Within minutes, the temperature in the trailer was below zero. Shivering in a fit of rage, the priest picked up the heater, flung it through the window, broke the window and shouted, Christ, I hate you! Damn it, God, get out of my life! I'm finished with this Christian crap. It's all over. He sank to his knees, defeated and weeping. And in the bright darkness of faith, he heard a voice from within say, It's okay, Kevin. I understand. I'm here. I'm with you. And I'm for you. Then he heard Jesus weeping within him. Christ felt what he was feeling. It was an overwhelming experience of intimacy. That same afternoon, Kevin Martin packed his bags, returned to Columbus to be reconciled with his family and his church, and has gone on to pastor the most dynamic, alive, spirit-filled Episcopal Church in America, St. Luke's in Seattle, Washington. Here is my servant, whom I have chosen, my beloved, the favorite of my soul, and he will proclaim the true faith to the nations. The bruised reed he will not crush, the smoldering wick he will not quench. You read the Gospels closely, you notice how fine-tuned Jesus is to our anger, our frustration, our emptiness, our loneliness, our fears, our self-hatred, our shame. Throughout his public ministry on earth, in the encounter with the prostitute, the home of Simon the Pharisee, with the adulterous woman in danger of stoning, with the thrice denying Peter in his tonight, with the young apostle John in the upper room on the night before he died, 
Here we capture the essence of the life of Jesus. The Greek verb splachnitomai is used 12 times in the four gospels and is usually translated to English as he was moved with compassion. However, because of the poverty of our English vocabulary, we really don't capture the deep etymological meaning of splachnitomai. So depending on the translation of the Bible you use, it may say he was moved with pity or he felt sorry for them or his heart went out to them. But again, they missed the profound physical and emotional flavor of this Greek verb, splachnitomai, which is derived from the noun splachna, meaning bowels, entrails, intestines, the deepest parts of a person from which the strongest emotions like love and hatred arise. We must never forget that when we speak of the compassion of Jesus, we are speaking of the compassion of the infinite, transcendent, almighty God, of the sacred man defined by the Council of Nicaea in the year 325 AD as being co-equal and consubstantial to the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God. The compassion of Jesus is the compassion of God himself, and Jesus is to your heart and mine. Don't ever be so foolish as to measure my compassion for you in terms of your compassion for one another. Don't ever be so silly as to compare your thin, pallid, wavering, capricious, fickle, moody, dependent on smooth circumstances, human compassion with mine, for I am God as well as man. What I'm driving at is this. When you read in the Gospels that Jesus was moved with compassion, it is saying his gut was wrenched. His heart torn open, the most vulnerable part of his being laid bare. Spagnitsurai in Greek is related to the Hebrew word for compassion, rakamim, which refers to the womb of Yahweh. Compassion is such a deep, central, powerful emotion in Jesus Christ that it can only be described as a movement within the womb of God himself, where all the divine tenderness and gentleness lie hidden, where God is mother, father, brother, sister, son, and daughter, where all feelings, emotions, and passions are one in divine love. When Jesus was moved with compassion, when he wept within the brokenness of my priest friend Kevin Martin, the gospel is saying, the ground of all being shook, the source of all life trembled, the heart of all love burst open, and the unfathomable depths of the relentless tenderness was laid bare. The numerous physical healings performed by Jesus and recorded in the Gospels are only a hint of the anguish in the heart of God's Son for our wounded humanity. Even the passion and death of Jesus on Calvary is only a hint of his Abba's compassion and the substance of our faith lies in the conviction that beyond that hint, lies compassion and love beyond measure. When Jesus was moved with compassion, when he wept within the brokenness of my priest friend Kevin Martin, the gospel is saying, the ground of all being shook. The source of all life trembled, the heart of all love burst open, and the unfathomable depths of the relentless tenderness was laid bare. 
You know, when it comes to the compassion of God, and we listen to what Pastor Manning has said there in his study of, you know, the, the Greek and the Hebrew of compassion, it just boggles my mind. You know, to think of this relentless tenderness of God that He stretches forth towards man, where in the very womb of God, the, the very source of everything that keeps everything uh, in its place, starts to move, you know, ready to bring forth a new life, you know, so that you can have and experience new quality of life. You know, it just, it, it's just too much for me, you know, to think of that. And, uh, you know, I've listened to this in this week maybe a hundred times. And uh, every time I listen to it, I want to cry. Because I think of this awesome, wonderful God that has got such a high quality of life that He can find His very being move where He is so um, others-centered He's got such a liberation about him that he thinks of others more than himself. And uh, he's a being that uh, is so flooded with life and the kind of life he possesses is that he cannot basically live outside of seeing others experiencing that life. And that that is the God that we have got to do with today. Um, we don't sit with a God that um, is on the other side of space and time and is um, looking at, through this window at us in this box trying to live a good enough life that he can smile over us but he's a God that is um, very intimately involved with not just what we do but our every thought and action and in every possible way trying to have his thought and action engulf you. That's actually what he's, who he is and what he's, what he's busy with every day. That's the kind of a being that we, we have to do here. We talk about the highest quality of life. The one that knows what hurts you and the one that knows what makes you happy. And what I like about what he said about his friend, you know, when he was throwing the heater through the, uh, the, the window, he said, um, God, Jesus, inside him, said to him, it's okay. And then what touches me the most is, and he heard Jesus weeping inside of him. It wasn't an outside weeping of, you have failed again, but an inside weeping of compassion, for he is feeling what this priest is feeling, even in the day where he's so, he's so frustrated that he says, God, get out of my life. And I was thinking of this and I was so amazed, you know, to, to hear this and just um, in this way come to, to, to realize again, you know, I mean, years ago I preached on the word mercy and the word mercy means uh, deeds of compassion that flows from the innermost being, the core or the spine of somebody with a purpose to treat another person better than what he would ever deserve based on legalism. That is, that's the word mercy. It's almost a whole sentence because our, our English cannot explain what mercy is. 
And mercy and compassion are so intertwined, you know, that we can't separate these things from each other. And we've got a God that reveals himself to Moses, and the first thing that he reveals about himself is, I am merciful. I am the one that, 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 that my very innermost being feels what you feel. It's not, I, I can think, you know, I, I kind of think what you know. The very feeling you feel is what he feels. And that's the compassion he has. And, and uh, you know, in this, this, this whole uh, um, eight-minute message, there was something that actually broke my heart. Because what he said was, <clears throat> you, he says, never... Never compare human compassion with the compassion of the Almighty. And when I was standing there, I had an a, a eternal no shouting out of my heart because I was saying, you know, this is... This is not right. This is not the way it is supposed to be. God, how can you exclude us from having that quality of life? I'm not settling for that. I'm not settling for a life where the compassion that's born into my heart is not the very compassion of God. When God, in the beginning, made man... His number one plan was for man to share in the very quality of life that he possesses. Not to have a mediocre life compared to his life. But he was in the Trinity, the Father. And listen, you know, compassion is not something that just flows when it, go, when it goes bad with somebody. Compassion to me talks about a, 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 a link you know, where the one is so much part of the other one that he shares in his joys. He shares in what makes him happy. He thinks together. It is an absolute union where there's a liberation that, that has taken place where your, your thoughts has expanded beyond yourself. That's the life the Trinity has possessed from time and eternity and even before eternity. This is the life of God. And when He made man, He made us to partake in that life where the Father lives in absolute compassion and union with Jesus and created man to have that life. And that is called grace. <laughs> Glory to God. You know, I've never understood what it says to be, it's more blessed to give than what it is to receive. You know, that verse was so uh, put down our throats, you know, it's more blessed to give than to receive, just as some spiritual thing. But it was never flooded with the understanding of the Trinity and our design. You know, when I receive compassion... It is so blessed, blessed, you know, when, when I see God feeling with me, when I, um, you know, when I, you know, even in the series on finances, obviously I get a lot of persecution. And when I, when I, when I stand in that persecution and you feel lonely, and you feel, um, you know, there's, there's, it's, it's basically you preaching this. And you think of the turmoil you can 
put your families that you can put your family through and and all those kind of things by preaching this you feel alone and I feel and, and in that the comfort of this compassionate God that loves me is it, it, it is awesome and it's wonderful you know it's blessed it's blessed to receive that compassion but I want to tell you it's more blessed to feel that compassion in your heart where your thought is wider than your own circumstances than your own financial well-being but where you feel so moved where your innermost being your gut is torn in looking at the abuse that people are going through and you want to you want to say I don't care about my own well-being anymore I, I feel a movement of God a passion of God in my heart that we will boldly proclaim a truth that will set people free you know to the point that they will not just have the thing it's so blessed to get God to bless me financially but where you can find a move of God coming to the church I might sound very arrogant, but I want to submit to you that we have not seen the church ever in history free from financial, the financial burden and curse that the law has brought on the church. We have not seen such a church. We, we are yet to see that freedom. We have not seen that freedom. And I want to say this, and, and, and you know, to you guys here, you know, I'm not money orientated here I feel the, the compassion of God in my heart to see people free and why must we as the church you know sit at a place where we settle for a mediocre compassion and a mediocre life where the, where the Trinitarian life of God has been made available for us you know God's, God's nature is compassion God's nature is love but his end goal wasn't just for you to experience his compassion in the form of receiving compassion but his end goal was for you to be compassionate for that is the highest quality of life that there is glory to God that's what he's come to bring to us and that is what eternal life also mean I understand what Pastor Manning says you know in let us never compare human compassion with the compassion of God but I also want to say this and add to this let us never settle for that kind of a life where we are cursed to only live by a human compassion and human generosity where the grace of God was made available for man. And I want to tell you and I want to tell the world that's listening to me. By legalism, man shall never feel what it feels like to be like God. And God's plan was to have man as a being that could feel what it feels to be like him and God knows that it is impossible for man to have that heart and that core and that passion by some commandments or some principle it can only come by God infusing his life into you 
And then, based on our design, it can only manifest in us when we are persuaded of this truth. And how shall man be persuaded of this truth unless we preach this truth in every area of life? It would be ridiculous for me to try and preach this message on finances or the message on reaching out to people or the message on prayer or the message on faith, you know, having in mind, you know, that to get people not to have fruit in their life. The purpose of this whole thing is not even just fruit. The purpose of this is sharing in eternal life, which, may, which is made available for us right now. The word eternal means perpetual, unending, and the word life is the, the a Greek word zoe, which talks about the following, in, following. It says, the absolute fullness of life, both essential and ethical, which belongs to God, and, both, uh, and through Him both to the Logos, which is Jesus Christ, and there it was put on human nature. Now, <laughs> eternal life, it says here, is the fullness of life that is possessed by God. The only way you can have that is by His tenderness and His grace reaching out to you. Having the end goal in that is for you to feel how it feels to be compassionate. And this is not the time for you or anybody that listens to me to have the old hurt of I've been so abused. God is a God that gives, so therefore I must give. That saying is a wrong saying. If God is a God that gives, therefore I must give. No. God is a God that has got giving in his mind. Why? Because he was moved with compassion. So let him be so compassionate to you and have a heart open and uh, 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 given to God wherein you say, God, not only am I receiving the compassion that you're showing towards me, but I'm even receiving the very compassion and my Life is made available as a place wherein you can have your compassion on me. If God, if we, can, if we are co-seated with Christ in heaven, and He can feel your every sad feeling in you, I want to tell you, don't be robbed from the truth by thinking it only works one way. You can feel and experience the very gut-moving power that is in the Almighty and it can push your life. That is what Paul was saying in 2 Corinthians 5 when he says, The love of Christ compels me, for we are of this mind. If one died, then all are dead. Glory to God. This eternal life cannot be contained in uh, obedience to rules or regulations. For the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13 verse 1, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and, have and, and don't have love, I've become a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and I have all knowledge, and though I have faith that I could remove mountains and I do not have love, I am nothing. Do you see that if we come and we preach 
good actions and you do those good actions but it has not come from a birth of understanding a birth of love a birth of that union in the trinity wherein he lives in you even if you give your body to be burnt for the spreading of the gospel you are still nothing what determines and defines your very being is not what you do but it is what drives you inside you and that is not this will's decision i decide love is going to drive me it is when the goodness of god has consumed your very belief and the core of your being and it starts to drive you <laughs> hallelujah and this is what we have been introduced to. We have not come with, with, with the, with the, to the mountain that smokes with fire and stuff. We've come to Mount Zion. We've come to the city of the very living God. We've come to the place where God says, I indwell my people. We have not come to a place where we observe an outside commandment when we try to obey commands and try and copy the life of Jesus. No, people, I want to submit to you that we have come to the place where God, the very being of God, is placed inside you, infused uh, into you. A fusion has taken place where two metals became one and we cannot find the difference between the two anymore. A new kind of a being exists it's called the God human which is us glory to God and we now don't have to sit and say well you know I've been so hurt by past things and whatever you know that I can't live this way and I can't live that way and I was saying to my wife you know if the almighty that has got all joy all peace all kindness and all tenderness and his life is called eternal life and he made that available for me I'm not having any other life that is my life I lay claim of what he has done for me a man is seated in the Godhead I don't think you know um, when Stephen was stoned it was because of hallucination that he said, I see a man seated at the right hand of God. When Stephen said, I see a man at the right hand of God, we know it's Jesus. But he didn't say, I see Jesus seated at the right hand of God. He wasn't trying to communicate that Jesus is at the right hand of God. He was trying to communicate that man was elevated to the Godhead. Mankind. I see a man, a human in the right hand of God and the Bible says they, 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 they like I think they tore their clothes they pulled the hair out of their head and they killed the man they killed him for saying those words but I want to tell you it's divinity spoken glory to God that's what is made available for us it says here that this overwhelming drive of, of, of His kindness and His being inside us, it says here, um, it suffers long. It is kind. So what I'm trying to say is, we're not trying to strive after long-suffering. We're not trying to st strive after kindness. Neither do we try to strive um, after not being puffed up. We have been introduced to a life that has got 
these wonderful attributes. So, this life cannot be contained in mere works. Neither can this life be contained in no works. For the Bible says, how does the, it says, if you see your brother in need, help your brother. For if you don't, how will the love of God, how will this gut-tearing, relentless tenderness of God that is inside you, live in you? <laughs> Are you understanding the purpose of works? The purpose of works is not getting you points with God. The purpose of works is the very thing that God has designed where you can give expression to the birth that's taken place in your, in your heart. Amen. Glory to God. Glory to God. Now the Bible says clearly, it says that the law is the power of sin. Now what the power of sin is, is it is the empowerment to take th that which is not good in human flesh and manifest it in your life. Thus robbing you from having the very place where we could see a manifestation, you know, of who He is in our life. And so experience not just God as a God where we feel compassion from Him, but we, where we find His quality of Trinity life living in us and through us. That's why Paul says, yield your members as instruments of righteousness. What it means, it doesn't mean start to do righteousness. What it means is, say to yourself, say in your mind, that this body, this life of mine, is made available for the full manifestation of that relentless tenderness that's possessed by God. Glory to God. Why should the church, and, and I say this for the international audience, why should the church settle for something that can never produce life in the area of money? It can never produce generosity. Why should we, because of fear, of not having fear of not, even in business, fear of not having for tomorrow and whatever, cling to some old systems that will rob you from knowing what it feels to have your gut torn when you see somebody in need. Or you can feel your pocket open to give towards something that can make somebody else happy. Why? Why do we always have to keep some back door open? You know, on tithing and sowing and reaping and all those kind of things. Where God has got a master plan wherein man can experience his eternal life. I want to read 2 Corinthians 8 and I want to just use an example here from the Bible of, of, of a church in, in uh, Macedonia that has experienced what it is to live eternal life in the area of no fear in money. 
It says, Moreover, brethren, and I'm going to read it in the King James and then also in the, um, in the message. It says, Moreover, brethren, we do to wit, or we want to testify, listen to how beautiful this is, of the grace of God bestowed on the poor churches in Macedonia. How that in great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. Now that's a very, very difficult way of saying that these people was, they were in great trial and in great affliction and they were in deep poverty. But in the midst of that, we saw their liberality. Now, liberality um, means the following. It means largeness of mind, the comprehensiveness of mind, which includes others, others' interests beside its own. So what it says here is, we saw that they had, in their poverty, they had great liberality. Now, liberality, one of the root words there is, is, is to be liberated or to be set free. So what I was actually saying is, we want to testify to you how there was a church that in the area of their giving and their finances, they entered into this trinity place of God's quality of life. And we were amazed to see how this looks. It was something like, if we read the message, Paul said, I was amazed. I, I never imagined this. This poor church got such a, grace means divine influence on the heart. They were so divinely influenced on their belief that they were so liberated concerning fear and money and all those kind of things that they begged the apostles to, to, that they could also partake in giving money to the poor churches in Jerusalem and said, don't rob us from the joy of giving to this poor church in Jerusalem. Now, we can preach that in churches, you know, and say, you see, these people, if they are under grace, then you will give and it will be a joy for you, and you must now give because it's a joy. You've missed the boat. You've just preached something that will kill people. What is written there is, listen, these people were so under the divine influence of God that their gut was torn. The relentless tenderness of God, which surpasses all understanding, was manifested in a human being in a poor church. And they were so liberated, their mind was so enlarged that they could not even see their own needs. And they said, let us share in the joy of contributing to someone else. And the idea is not to use that as a command telling people, you must now give, but to tell people, listen, get into this grace. Because if you read further on, you will see Paul says, herein I give my advice. And I, as you see the grace of Jesus that was upon Jesus and the grace that was upon this church, so be ye also in that grace. That place where you are so divinely influenced, where you see the value of yourself, you see the value of others, where you say, life is not about me and myself, and God bless us for and no more. But where you find that the union that there is between the Father and the Son and Jesus, I find that very same union between people. It's like when I prayed, you know, for the people's birthdays, you know, you know, the people who's got their birthday in this week, you know, I just, it just dawned on me, thank you God, that humans can procreate. 
Because another being can be created wherein we can experience this absolute union with that possessed in the Godhead. This message that I'm preaching to you is so far removed from let's try this week and hope we make it and get, a, get an encouragement on Wednesday by the, at the cell group so that we can just have enough strength to next Sunday just get a boost again. I'm talking about a life born from God. This is what He has have this is what he has for us let me read that verse again moreover I want to testify about this absolute divine influence I want to use my own words about the influence that's in the Godhead that then manifested in the poor churches in Macedonia how they were in great trial of affliction yet they were abundant in joy so that grace made them even happy and then they had largeness of mind they had this comprehensiveness of mind which includes others' interest beside its own. And duly estimate, estimates in its decisions the value or importance of each. I want to tell you, uh, 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 and you can sit here, you can listen to me and you're going to think I try to preach money out of people. But I'm not pre trying to preach money out of people. I'm trying to in introduce you to a life that we've, we've never seen. You know what I say to Helena, it's, it's to me, I want to, I find that I come to a place where I would look at certain things I want to buy. You know what, I, this is nice. And I think, man, if I buy that, then I can't give. So I can't buy it. That is what liberality means. It, this is the definition for liberality. It means the duty estimates in its own decision so, sorry um, and duly estimates in its own decisions the value or importance of each other so when this largeness of mind has come you realize thank you God you know that I can buy things for myself I can do things for my children I can this I can that but I realize that I don't have to push my life so to the edge of my income that I cannot even be who I am I hope you hear what I'm saying. And you know the Bible says, and, and, and what I'm saying will touch the very core of our beings. Because on the way here, I said to Elena on the car, that um, when we talk on finances, because I, I can talk on anything people will accept, but the moment you talk on money, there is always an issue. There's an issue. It is, don't talk on that. You know, rather just leave it. You know why? Because the Bible says, the love of money is the root of all evil. So, if there is any root of legalism in your life anywhere, should I touch on the financial thing and there's a root in you, you'll feel it. Even if the root is in another area. Because that is the root of all evil. And he will say, no, yes, you might even say, this sounds like legalism or this sounds like this. I want to tell you, this is, it wasn't, Paul didn't write the love of money is the root of all evil because he had too much Rice Krispies that morning. He wrote that because he was under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit.
It's amazing. So when we look at this, the church can be truly set free. Truly set free. I tell you, I find in my own life, you know, I don't even say that I'm seeing all of that manifest within me. But I start to see what it is to have that absolute move, not because of obligation or guilt, but the relentless tenderness of Jesus in my heart. And I say to my wife, put this money in that person's account or put this money in that. Let us see how we can help this one. Let us see how we can do this from a life born. Amen. A life born, not a life made by human effort. I'm going to just read this in the message and then we're, going to, we, we, we're ending off. It says, Now friends, I want to report on the surprising and generous ways in which God is working in the church in Macedonia province. Fierce troubles came down on the people of those churches, piercing them to the, um, to the oh, sorry, pushing them to the very limit. The trial exposed their true colors. It doesn't say the trial made them live happy or the trial brought this out. They were already having the true colors. But in the trial we just saw, you know, who they really are. They were incredibly happy, though desperately poor. Isn't that a powerful, powerful, powerful testimony? They were incredibly happy, though desperately poor. Paul didn't say, you know, I went to Macedonia and I'm really concerned for the church must do something wrong financially for they are desperately poor. The blessing of God is not on their life because they are desperately poor. He uses the desperate poor church as an example of grace. These days, it's, it's, a, it's a shame if your church is desperately poor. The blessing of God is not upon your life. You see how the love of money has corrupted our very wisdom that we cannot even see God in poor people. I want to testify about what Paul saw in the poor churches in Macedonia. The happiest churches I've ever seen is in Zambia. Those people are all the time happy. They're all the time laughing. And a lot of those people have never even seen money. They would just be, a, they are on the world's chart of successful churches. They don't even make the chart. They don't make the chart. Yet this is what Paul is talking about here. He says, In fierce troubles came down on the people of those churches, piercing them, oh sorry, pushing them to the very limit. They were incredibly happy, though desperately poor. In this pressure, something was triggered, totally unexpected, an outpouring of pure and generous gifts. So here Paul comes. He doesn't expect any of these people to do anything financially for him. He doesn't even beg them for money. Nothing. But here he says, if you read the King James, it says, Grace, that relentless tenderness of God, where your gut is torn, it happened to these people. They gave offerings of whatever they could, far more than what they could afford. Pleading for the, listen to this, 
pleading for the privilege of helping out in the relief of poor Christians. <laughs> Do you see that the, the Trinitarian life of God grabbing hold of a human? You know, there was a time in my life where I received grace. Thank you, Jesus, you know, in the sense of mercy, in the sense of, listen, Bert, it's not about what you do. Listen, Bert, it's not about how you uh, perform. It's, it's, you know, if, it's not about your works. Glory to God. And I know it's not about my works. But I thank God that we can come to a place where we say, this is blessed. But thank you, Lord, that we see this blessedness. But we look at what makes you do what you do. And that's what we want. And then you say, God, that's what I want. Then God says to you, but that's what I've always made available. And that was the end plan anyway. You don't have to beg me for it. This is what I always wanted to give you. This is actually it. You see how legalism can bring you to a place of you must be punished. And then you come to a place where Jesus says you don't have to be punished. I took the punishment for sin already away. Okay? Not because, yeah, okay. I took the punishment of sin away. Then you come and you're so happy you don't have to be punished. But still, the residue of this legalism where you, I'm not, I don't have to be punished, I don't have to be punished, is still robbing you from the very life of God. Which is actually about his quality of life. Which can only happen by a spiritual birth. To which we can have no access outside of our persuasion that this is the truth. And giving ourselves for that persuasion. L let me read this from the, from the King James here. You see here what they say here. Um, just find the verse. Um, why have I lost that now? I just want to find that verse. I hope I copied it. But what it says here, it says that these people firstly gave themselves to God. Now, and then to us. Now what I mean by giving yourself to God, you know we've always had it in the Old, Test the, no, the Old Testament, the old way of thinking, we had it as I give my life to Jesus. But the, the giving yourself to God here was, God, this life I make available for what you promised. I give myself to to God. I, I see myself to God not, not just as, as, as um, make yourself available to work for God. I see it myself as I made myself available. You know, God said, I make, your, I make myself available for you to sit in the Godhead. And then you say, God, I make myself available for that dynamics in the Godhead now to work in me. Yeah. That is first giving yourself to God. And then when they gave themselves to God, then they also gave themselves to Paul. And the apostles. So what they then said is, this union here is also working here. So if we are, if I'm co-seated with Christ, and you guys are co-seated with Christ, therefore what you feel is what we feel. And Paul, we feel what you feel about the poor churches in Macedonia. Your guts rent for them, and now mine is for God's is. And they were liberated. There was a liberality 
that says, I've been set free from any hold the voice of poverty can ever have on me. I'm set free from any hold that I, have, well, I was narrow-minded where it was just about myself. For I realized that this death was not just for me. Although it starts here, you believe it first for yourself, but it included others. And I see that I can feel what God feels, but I can, as God feels what others feel, I feel the same. And then I find His life living in me. To me, that is the New Testament way of giving. And I, I'm sorry, you know, if, if, if some people are offended that watch by the web, I'm, I'm not trying to break down anybody. But we can't, we, we are robbing people. We are robbing people if we still come with this whole tithe, sowing and reaping thing. It doesn't matter how much you can decode the thing. It is simply not a biblical way of giving. I'm not saying if somebody feels in his heart by this relentless tenderness, you know, that he, he decides by his own free will without coming with some scripture says I must do it or feeling you owe God that he wants to give 10% of his income to the church or to some place. I, I don't say that that's wrong. And I don't want anybody that feels that he freely gives on a monthly basis, you know, that he is now under the law. He is not. The, the thing is, what is the father of your thought? If the father of your thought is the tithe belongs to God, I've got a problem with that. I've got a problem with that because you, you might feel generous in giving that, but you have still not attained unto that relentless tenderness that is in Jesus when he spoke to the woman that was caught in the act of adultery. When he went to Zacchaeus and he said to Zacchaeus, which was in the, in the tree, you know Zacchaeus means pure or innocent. He climbed the fig tree which speaks of the law and he couldn't see Jesus and what, was actually, what he was actually saying is even, even if you are innocent, in the heights of the law, to see Jesus, you must come down from your tree so that he can come to your house. And then you will have true freedom. And then Zacchaeus said, if I stole anything, I will give fourfold, you know, to those that, suffer, that, that I stole from. And a new life was born in the revelation of getting out of the perfection of the law. Glory to God. That is what God introduces to us. And I say this with all the passion in my heart and compassion for those that are, are, are bound in fear financially. It's one of the most terrible things to think, how will I pay my things? It's one of the most terrible things to think that my child cannot have this and that and that thing, you know, so how will, you know, you always say, oh, you know, I don't worry about what I wear or uh, do I go to that, what do, what do I drive? But when it comes to your kids and you send them on a camp, you don't want them to feel ashamed 
of the very things they, that you buy them and they must make excuse for, you know, my parents can't buy this. Let me tell you something. The very thing that is inside you that has set you free from worrying what you wear and what you drive, make that available to your child as well. That he can be free. Moet om nie so instop, wat hy nooit die waarheid kan verstaan. We think that, and, and in our compassion for our kids, you know, we can teach them in what we buy them all the time, that you are what you possess. And if I look at my children, you know, they don't have bad clothes, they don't have, you know, when they go on things, they've got good stuff. Even some kids say to Aubrey, your pa's reik yo. You know? So it's not that, but I, but the whole thing is, I don't worry about this, you know, for myself, but now I live in so much fear about the very same thing for my kids. So introduce your child to the truth. That he can be free. Amen. Glory to God. I've got compassion and I feel in my heart that the church can be set free. And, and I, I just say this, if, if I'm persecuted for what I preach, let it come on. Let it come. You know, do whatever you can. Because I will only see it as I'm persecuted for righteousness and I will count it joy. But I'm not changing from this gospel. Because this has set me free. I'm not settling for stinginess. And I'm not settling for legalism. I'm only settling for his quality of life inside my life. And the church needs this word. Amen. Let us pray. <clears throat> Maybe you are here and you say, Bertie, you're talking about things that make sense to my mind, but I don't experience this in my life. And uh, maybe you're watching via the internet as well, and you're saying, I'm, I'm hearing you, and it, it does bring great joy to think of this, and uh, you know, I want to make my life available for this. Let us pray together. <clears throat> and as I pray this prayer, just let it be the prayer of your heart as well. You know, so many times we think of how can we pray together. Listen, if we are in union as God intended, then my prayer can be your prayer, should it be in the good news. And I can pray a prayer that's in my heart, which is the very same prayer that's in your heart. And that's how we pray together. Father, I want to first come and thank you for your relentless love, where you have compassion on man, where you are moved with a passion that is above normal human understanding. And I want to thank you, Father, that we have been designed, we have been created by you the day you made us to have that and to function by the very thing that you feel. We have not been made to have human understanding, compassion, human understanding, uh, generosity, or any of those things. We have been made to have the gut-tearing, relentless tenderness of you. We have been designed to naturally have that. We've been made for that. And Father, we understand our design, that we are faith beings. 
And as we have not always seen this in our lives, we come to you now and we say we make ourselves available for that kind of mercy, that kind of, not just in, to be the recipients of mercy, but to be the very vessel in which mercy lives. For that's the only way wherein we can experience this. And by copying mercy, we are nothing, but we, we are something when you live this in us, where we co-feel, co-share, co-live this life. We give ourselves for this life, Father. And we step away from the life where we are defined by the abundance of our merchandise to a life where we are defined by the abundance of who you are. And thank you that we don't walk away out of the service today with a mentality of I will become but the mentality of I am. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I also feel a compassion for every person that is here that does not, that, that's, that's got fear concerning their finances. And I declare the fruit of what you've just been made part of manifesting in your life, contentment, joy, Abundance of grace manifests in your life. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. I've really enjoyed this message. It is the good news of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Those of you that feel you want to give, you can give in the back. Um, and uh, please uh, take, take the effort to invite some friends to come and listen to this series on finances because I see it as a great evangelism series because money is such a core of our, it makes up such a core, of, a part of the core of our being and um, when we hear God's love in that area then people accept Jesus. Like I've said, the number one testimony I've received, um, you know, via the internet and thousands of people watch, watch the messages there of people being set free from legalism was people that say, Bertie, you know, I was listening to, uh, to different messages, but I didn't understand. But when I heard your teaching on Jesus is the tithe, when I heard your teaching about sowing and reaping, I for the first time realized what grace is and I could accept the gospel of grace. So use this as an opportunity to bring friends, order some of the CDs and DVDs. If you are on the internet, listen man, by just clicking like, you know, on the Facebook, your friends will see this and they will watch this. And we can have two, three thousand people watching a Sunday message, which is wonderful. But by just clicking like there, even if you don't share it, by just clicking like, people will see you've liked it. You know, if you feel the boldness to share it, I know this is a very radical series. You know, if you feel the boldness to share this, please share this because people can be truly set free. Amen and amen. Thank you, guys. God bless you.